This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to the programme. I'm Jake Cantor. The general election may feel long gone, but the fallout from last week's Tory victory is only just beginning for the television industry. We'll analyse what it means for the BBC and others. Also on the programme, we'll discuss Netflix's UK commissioning push and musical chairs at the BBC and Channel 4. And as always, we'll get stuck into some previews. On our watch list this week is BBC One drama Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell and Dave's new cop comedy Undercover. That's all coming up on Talking TV for Broadcast. Joining me in the studio this week are entertainment producer Stephen D. Wright and Curve Media founder Camilla Lewis. Welcome to you both. Hello. How are you doing? So happy to be here. Uh, as always, Stephen. We love having you here. Also with us is broadcast editor Chris Curtis. Hello, Mr. Cantor. How are right. you? Yeah, I'm very good. I wanted to say to everyone, uh, hunt out the trailer for the new Muppets that is being shown at the LA screenings, because that was the highlight of my week so far, uh, watching the new Muppets trailer. Very funny. Better than the BAFTAs. Uh, I didn't say that. I forgot about the BAFTAs. No, I like the BAFTAs as well. You forgot about the BAFTAs. <laughs> Did anyone else? I didn't win, Camilla. I didn't win. Did I, I said, why bother when you don't win? <laughs> Some good winners, generally. Anthony yeah, Dack yeah. was Very a bit good. disappointing. How did they get two? Uh, two uh, they must have split the vote. I thought it was brilliant winners. I thought they really went for craft, and mm. I, I thought BAFTA just thought, yeah, this is what we're going to go for craft. And even you know, in factual, it was always disappointing not to see more of a range, but really impressive that they were quite brave about how they chose their awards. And Grand Design certainly deserved it. Which is your old show, of course. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, not. It wasn't my idea. <laughs> Don't give it away, Jane. Yeah. I love the fact that it was BBC Three's night. They won everything. Virtually everything. Yeah, same number of awards as yeah. BBC One. Makes that decision to get rid of them even more kind of embarrassing. Should we move on to more serious matters? Oh, yeah. The prospect of BBC Charter Renewal came into sharp focus this week after John Whittingdale was appointed Culture Secretary. Uh, the right-wing press gleefully reported the Thatcherite Tory MP's plans to go to war on Auntie and its TV tax. Uh, but in reality, his position on the corporation's future is probably a little more nuanced. And he certainly knows his brief, having chaired the Culture Committee for a decade. But the mood music from the Conservative Party remains ominous for the BBC. And the smart money would be on the broadcaster being asked to do less with less come 2017. Um, Shall I read you out a little shopping list of threats? Okay, decriminalisation of the licence fee evasion. That will cost the BBC maybe £200 million. And it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, that will probably happen. Funding licence fees for over 75s, about £500 million. What, losing that funding? Yeah. Government mm. So over seventy fives won't have to get a license fee. That's what they do at the moment. They it's currently free. get that, yeah, but they but the so government funds it. Right. So oh. the government may ask the BBC now to fund that. An odd one. Providing better content for Scotland, the SNP wants about hundred million pounds. Yep. Yep. And finally, super fast broadband rollout and digital radio switchover. Well, well, that's well I mean, not, who knows, who knows how much? The first one is really threatening. <laughs> uh, the rest of it, for me, is is, is le- less of a threat. The big threat is that they decriminalise the licence fee because in so doing, then, you know, why would people pay it, I suppose? I suppose you hope that the viewers and listeners really believe in the BBC and that actually the weight of the country is behind the BBC regardless of what the, particularly the right wing, but also you know, all the press might speculate. I don't think it's a them and us thing. I think there's, there might be a different system of paying, there may be, there maybe there is another way forward for how the BBC should be funded. I don't feel that the government would be saying the BBC shouldn't be funded and the BBC shouldn't exist. It's much more nuanced and more difficult to handle than that. Actually, the BBC probably needs better management. Actually, the BBC could could spend money more wisely. And I think we shouldn't just say no to all change because if we do, we're going to be irrelevant. I mean, I think the model that um, Armando might mention, and I'm not allowed to talk about him probably yet, but 
No, he's been announced as uh, the the McTaggart lecturer, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And so, he's spoken about a subscription. Exactly. Style model, I mean, that's an. Inter- I mean, I don't know. I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of things are subscription. I think there's a sort of sense that the BBC shouldn't be subscription because it has a unique role in 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 both you know culturally and historically and in what it provides for the public in so many media. But I I, I don't know. What do you think, Stephen? What's your view Does on that? Send the- shivers down your spine. Well, I'm just working out that Camilla obviously voted Tory last week. Oh, God, um, you're joking. <laughs> no, not at all. Far no, from it. No, the uh, the news was, uh, was 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 quite exciting in terms of uh, it shows the Tory party mean business. And they seem to be doing it with several of their appointments. You know, the anti-gay uh, minister is now the minister of equality. The anti-disability minister is the minister of disability. The anti-TV minister is the minister for the BBC. Um but no, I mean they can't be. They're not that stupid, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a sort of it's a it's a visible sort of threat slash, uh, you know, man with a big stick. But I don't think they're going to uh, get stuck in too much because there isn't that much to do with the BBC other than maybe trim their sort of budget a bit and get rid of some of the dead wood. But the the whole kind of Daily Mail agenda is meaningless. You know, the the, the left wing thing. I would think the BBC is more right wing than left wing myself. You know, there's more poshos in there who, who vote Tory than anything else. But, um, but that felt the most disingenuous, the whole kind of argument that they were trying to, oh, because they wouldn't do what they wanted during the election, they're going to get back at them. It's some sort of fantasy mm. of goodies well, no, and I, see, I mean, But the thing is, you know, politicians are ego-driven creatures and that idea of, you know, I'll make the BBC bend to my whip, it, you know, it, it, that does have some sort of... Uh, Credibility. They are. They are. You know, pathetic creatures like that. But the it real, is all the, overplayed, though, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, re, the real fear is. Sorry, can I just say the one thing I say with the BBC is that if you tell the BBC that to worry, the BBC does not need to be told to worry. The BBC beats itself up far too regularly all the time and spends far too mind being self, trying to be self-aware, trying to work itself out. And actually, coming in from that angle, that's the biggest fear is that the BBC gets fear will kill the BBC. That's that's the biggest worry. Mm. Actually, the BBC needs to stay robust, believe in what it's doing, be confident in its output, which is fantastic, and believe that, that it will work out however change might work around it. And it may involve cuts, but it might not be the end of the world. Tony Hall's trying to do that. He's trying to mm-hmm. bring confidence and a bit of, as you say, robustness. He's also trying to, I think, convince BBC rank and file staff that there is some change coming. And it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but there is going to be there is going to be some change. So uh, it's perfectly feasible, reading between the lines, looking at what Whittingdale said in the past and direction of travel, that um, some changes will happen in this um Charter renewal license fee negotiation, you would expect some sort of digital element to be brought in, iPlayer, digital consumption of viewing to be encompassed within a license fee. I don't think this BBC's got anything particularly to worry about in terms of that. I think the list of threats that you read out, I do think there are a few more things on there. I think the spectre of the SNP is pretty serious. Mm. Uh, third largest party in Britain. The Tories, I think, will be looking for things that they can give the SNP to make the, the Scottish Nationalist Party feel like they've they've had some achievements. Potentially, um, cash from the licence fee um, would be one way, an easy, relatively easy way for the government to um, uh, sort of uh, hand something to the SNP. I think that's an issue. I think the whole issue of subscription around the licence fee is a really thorny one, and I think that's where the B will get nervous. Whittingdale sort of hinted at two things with regards to the licence fee. One is that it's not linked to household income. Uh, so it's not a progressive tax, not like income tax. The rich people pay the same as the poor people. And that th- there's an element there that you can say that clearly isn't fair, in inverted commas. So, so linking the licence fee long term to ability to pay 
to me, seems like a perfectly logical step to go down. I think the issue of subscription and the the the, uh, the idea that you you only pay for the bits of the BBC you want to use that's where the people get really nervous because the strength of the BBC is in its um, in its wholeness and the fact that the various bits of it prop each other up um, and uh, to to start say I was thinking on, on the way here um, would would I pay for BBC Four comedy if I was to be able to choose what I'd pay for possibly not but I'd be very sad if I hadn't had Detectorists to watch last year mm. and Sky might have something to say about subscription as well very much so we think they would be pushing hard perversely for the licence fee to uh, stay in place yeah okay should we talk about Channel 4 a little bit as well clear that privatisation may may come up uh, as part of John Whittingdale's plans uh, he's certainly tried to uh, to push for privatisation in the past he's voted for it uh, well, he's voted for amendments to bills in the past, and uh, uh, he, from what we understand, believes that Channel Four is a valuable asset. It's something that mm. it, you, you look worried, Stephen. No, worried, more confused, confused. or bemused. I think it's it's one of these things that I don't think there's that much to do with TV for the government. You know, Channel Four works. The BBC works. They're not going to fuck about doing things for the sake of it. It's a successful really industry, and they'll piss their, their, their I was going to say their audience, their voters off. Um, yeah. You know, no one is actually going around saying sort the BBC out and get Channel Four to put more grand designs on or whatever it is. It's you know these things are basically journalists' wank fantasies. <laughs> Hate to say it to two journalists in the room, but it, it's true. This is basically hot air. Well, I think well the we S- wouldn't have a show without no. us. <laughs> I, I, I think the SNP thing is really interesting, but I think probably what the BBC will do, which is where I think the BBC is very sharp and clever, there's BBC Scotland's fantastic base they've got up there already. And all they really need to do, is, which I think they're doing in, in any way, is to really maintain a relevancy mm-hmm. to their Scottish market and make sure that they bring in training and that they keep the diversity. I mean, this, this, this is all going it's on anyway at producer, BBC. This is fantastic news. You know, mm. the SNP guarantees you income for them. I'm Five years. I yeah. think it's wonderful news, full stop for Britain. I think it's good for the BBC. I don't think it's bad. I think Tory. we, we know, I mean, no, I'm not. <laughs> stop it now. Um, no, I, 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 I think what's really important about it is the fact that, that Scottish people are going to be used as be, be more on television, be have chance to be have training up there. This is, should happen anyway. Diversity mm. across the industry has been happening for a long time. Was that a Tory? I mean, you could argue politically that happened because of the Tories anyway. Scarily, and believe me, I'm not a Tory. <laughs> not a Tory. God, I'm for the record, I can't, the record. Well, no one needs to know that because they, they'll know. They <laughs> Just know quickly, me. finally, you I mean, Stephen, Stephen makes a good you point. Keep, you're right. How Chris. do you guess? <laughs> Stephen makes a good point, Chris. That telly and the broadcasting industry is fundamentally a successful place at the moment, and the government, be mm-hmm. it whatever colour, recognises that. I think from what we from what we understand, I certainly think so. Yeah. I mean, on the issue of Channel Four, most people. Your average person in the street in Britain, outside of our sort of little London media world, they don't even really understand what Channel 4, how Channel 4 is owned, whether it makes a profit or not. They think it carries advertising, say, assume it's commercial, it's trying to make a profit. There's no public appetite for that. So I think that the, um, Camilla's absolutely, and Stephen, absolutely right on that front. Interestingly, the point that you make, TV's a success, why do you want to tinker with it? Um, is going to be a key point when it comes to the terms of trade debate, and that's a key point that the super indies and the production community will be will be bringing up, at, saying to the government, "Look, we, we've we've become a really important exporting business. Are you sure you, you want to potentially undermine that with any changes to the terms mm. of trade?" Lots that's more hot really, air to come. That's really interesting. <laughs> that? The real screen they had a whole, you know, the, they always have the embassy sort of do, and that was very clear. That was exactly the messaging, and you know, you're very clear from the ambassador. This is what we see. We see you as one of the most important export industries. You're, you're, you know, not just for the financial 
hit of the, that, we, mm. that, we, that we bring in, but actually also because the impact and, and, and the way yeah, we, cultural we define value, cultural, yeah, yeah. cultural value we define about Britain across... I, mean, I think the BBC's going to be all right. It shouldn't panic too much. I like that note. A positive note to end on. <laughs> but <laughs> but there's, there's a lot more air to come, I think, Stephen, oh, yes, to your point. Uh, anyway, let's move on away from politics. Uh, broadcast revealed this week that Netflix has opened its doors to UK indies, uh, circulating a commissioning brief calling for factual entertainment ideas on the scale of Top Gear. Chris, this is uh, on the front page of Broadcast this week. Yeah, it is. And it's on the front page of Broadcast because up until now, there's been this kind of Netflix fallacy that the whole indie community is fascinated by Netflix, believes that it's this huge pot of money that that, that, that if only they could just access, um, all would be well with the world. And up until now, unless you were Andy Harris or Jane Featherstone or Gareth Neem, it was kind of irrelevant, to be completely honest. You were able to distributors able to sell some some catalogue for sort of catch up and and old content, but now clearly they're edging. They've commissioned a, a natural history, um, really Alice. big, yeah, yeah. from Master Father Girl um, and um, and Silverback, and this brief's gone out. And that, that means that for a far greater percentage of British Indies, I still think it's the big boys. I think that's really who they're, they're interested in, in, in dealing with. Um, but there are opportunities there to genuinely get something away. I mean, it's interesting because I sat next to Chris Bird from Amazon um, at this worldwide thing I did last week. And, and I, I think that they, are, they have an amazingly interesting model for, for any producer in any genre really because because they can get they can sort of say goodbye to Barb and say we're going to put stuff up and see is, has it got appeal and they're very up I think for working in a very open way because it's commercial and it makes really clear sense to say right here's 10 propositions which one do the viewers mm-hmm. engage with here's 10 like mini pilots or whatever and they can use their platform so easily to do that um, it's really I think it's a really exciting opportunity I think it's quite you know, challenging to try and think in the brand terms of what Netflix or or an Amazon might bring to the market. But I think from a creative point of view, it's a challenge. Is this something you, as a producer and a, and a, and a factual producer, Camilla? I'm a Tory, you, you so I'm get, up for it. <laughs> you want to get your hands on this brief and, and try and pitch something? Is, um, do you think that's realistic? I, I think, I think uh, I, I'm interested in, in seeing the brief and, and I would be excited by any brief because it's interesting and it's a challenge intellectually to try and think, how can I make myself work? Netflix, I, I'd have to find out a hell of a lot more about it before I... Um, what went into that world? I mean, I think it's a massive opportunity. I mean, that's why we should never. We get so beat ourselves up, and like the BBC do, about content and oh, television's dead. Is television dead? Is it all about digital? You know what? The narrative is never dead, and the narrative is not it, how it exists in ten years. I have no idea, and actually. I'm happy to speculate, but it is speculation. Who knows? None of us really know. But it won't have gone. That I'm convinced of. I watch my children view and I see how we consume information at all ages. And I think it's a mistake to ever worry about the narrative going. It never did go. It was always there. So I think, you know, maybe it will be Netflix. Maybe I'll be Netflix's main producer. Bring it on. I don't know. (laughs) Does it just want Top Gear, though? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Simple answer. It just wants Top Gear. Now, that was the bit that made me think, oh, for God's sake. Here we go. We want factual entertainment. No, we want Top Gear. That's actually what they're saying. They don't want grand designs. They don't want feature shows. They want Top Gear or something like Top Gear. Maybe House of Cars, as I read the other yeah, day. That was the good. brilliantly titled new Top Gear for Netflix. So, no, sorry if I sound a little bit cynical. But I am an old whore who's just heard there's a new client in town. That's basically my response. <laughs> I think you're right, though. You know? I think our, our agents in America, when I saw that article, what do you think I did? I got on the phone to, uh, to, to America and said, what the hell's going on? We didn't know about this deal. They came back to us quite sharply and said, there is no deal. So I, do, I don't know how much of a deal there is. I mean, I, I, as I've said, I, I don't, it's it, anywhere's an opportunity. It's interesting. It's a challenge. 
whether it's real, I think you're probably right, Steve. At this point, they certainly would want to, everyone wants to. No, I don't. You know, Netflix are not suddenly going to start commissioning hundreds and hundreds of British uh, indie hours. That's just not going to happen. But um, it's clear their ambitions have started to go beyond scripted. That's, That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. And it's clear that f- there are a few, a bit like with drama readers, there are a few big prizes to be won. Mm. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of the, the you know, the big beasts of the indie community are um, going to have an opportunity to get some really high end things of scale. Because I mean, they'd have to be, I mean, they do pay. Netflix obviously paid Alistair for an absolute fortune for that series. But. But will they pay enough for factual returners? I mean, cause, I mean, my worry would be that was especially as factual in a very specific genre, which mm-hmm. is expensive. Um, most most big companies are going to say no rights. Forget it. I think. Well, it's the, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's what we hear, isn't it? That the right situation is pretty horrible. Horrible. There is, in, what, is, right is, situation. is no, there is no. That's right. the right situation. <laughs> they have the rights. They've got you the right. have no rights. But, but then, but then so is it with Discovery. And exactly. You can get fantastic commissions with Discovery, and, and great. You know, people like Raw have made their production business out of you know fantastic commissions with Discovery, mm. and having very little. Rights. I think if the you know if they're serious, if they really want big yeah. sexy stuff then they have to pay big sexy money and if they do then people will will, will accept those commissions and there's, there's those a credibility terms. that comes with working with Netflix it's there? a prestige would be a prestige Which commission would probably lead to other commissions but, I mean yeah. it would it, oh, really good luck with that <laughs> am I, I being I, too optimistic I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I love this idea of things leading to other commissions <laughs> I haven't met that one myself okay uh, we'll move on uh, some big movers and shakers in the commissioning world uh, over the past fortnight should we just go through them all <laughs> one on, by you, one. You rattle them off. Objective head of comedy Ben Cordell has been so named we cheer as uh, as you say each name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, che- I'm cheering on them all. Of course, we're cheering of them all. Oh, I, I've always loved Ben. We well. love you. <laughs> we love you, Mister New. Put commissioner's name here. <laughs> so he's uh, Channel 4's new entertainment boss. Hooray! Objective's um, new Channel Four boss. Is it not? Is it not the Objective Channel Four Entertainment? That the whole kind of backwards weird and forwards time with objective tunnel and channel four. vortex that only you go one way or, or the other way, whatever. It's interesting his comedy. I mean, that's the thing that really interested me about him. Mean, I don't know him. He's got um, so he he did work. He founded, co-founded Zepatron. But the bigger point mm. is not so much about Ben. I, I'm sorry yeah. about that. I'm sure his mum would say would beg to differ. But uh, but arguably the point is more about where's Channel Four gone with entertainment, yeah. which is you know yes. Liam, who's had the big hits with the you know the jump, and when he is you know he he's he's the man. You know he has now got entertainment. That's what's really interesting, and that Ben's reporting to him because he's the comedy bit, which is possibly where Liam's hasn't got such great strengths in his, com- his commissioning. Are crowd. you reading my script? No, I'm not. <laughs> but that's what no, that's what it feels to me. Sorry, have I asked No, no, it's good. I'm joking. I don't want to leave you with nothing no, no. to say, Jake. God forbid. Yeah, I mean, that's the bigger point, isn't it, as you say? Yeah. The bigger the, point's the, the, the restructure. Yeah. It's yeah. entertainment going into fact end and then hiring a comedy exec to, to do entertainment. And what you're kind of seeing is all these genres getting a little bit... I mean, it was, you know... The jump coming out of fact end is always a bit weird anyway. Um, and you've got the, the sort of the blurring of the genres and you've clearly got Liam Humphreys as an incredibly important figure, figure at Channel but, 4 But now. fair enough. He's had the hits. So yeah. I, I, who can argue? The thing which I like about where Channel 4 is going now, and, you know, this week I've seen four Channel 4 commissioners, so I'm sort of in Channel 4 mad mode at the moment. But the one thing I'd say is all of them are mixing up, missing up genres. They're not sort of saying, I'm only doing this. And so you can kind of go, well, it's a bit docky, it's a bit specialist factual, maybe it's a bit jazz hands, I'm not sure. And actually the whole thing feels like actually a lot of the commissioners are open to a lot of errors. I mean, they are trying to obviously keep their bits... They, they, mm. they make sure they protect mm. their genres but I, I mean, think that's a good thing the really. viewers don't care whether Ben Cordell's made comedy before they just want to see good entertainment they want to see entertainment that like it used to be at Channel 4 I mean it's been shit for a few years now 
and we all know that and there's been no that's why they've come out of Liam Humphrey's department because the you know the entertainment department went wrong and I don't know why it went wrong but they tried a lot of big things and it seemed to lose its kind of vibe mm-hmm. that whole Friday night entertainment thing went yeah. for a Burton that you know that used to be almost guaranteed on Channel 4 that Friday night oh brilliant I can watch and that it's like you know they'll be putting Antiques Roadshow on there soon because there was nothing you know, on a Friday night, it used to be the key slot, and they somehow let that slip between their fingers. So, I mean, Ben Cordell's brought in because he obviously can make things happen and be funny. That's what Channel Four Entertainment needs to be funny and shocking, and and you know, and not a, a sub ITV whatever it was that it started to become. And TFI is coming back, so <sighs> your Fridays will be. Oh, come uh, on, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, See, I remember that. TFI the old the old days. You know, we were both at the studio in the old days. <laughs> no, I mean that's see, to me the the idea of TFI coming back is. On one hand, you know, oh great. On the other hand, it's a terrible indictment of how shit it's become that you have to bring back a twenty-year-old format. I mean, I started on the Word, so on the Word on Channel Four, you could do anything. I did Camilla. That's how we met, and so that was a show where you literally had your balls out every single minute of the day. Seriously, you could do anything, and it was so shocking and so sort of free and vibrant. That doesn't exist anymore. You see programs now that you can see the kind of the producers got their arms tied behind their backs. And that's possibly why Channel 4 has gone down a bit, because it used to be so good and it started to become very safe. So the idea of TFI coming back is a bit sort of depressing to me, but it would be great if it could inspire a new TFI. But then on the other hand, I suppose the great shows have always been around in one shape or form, haven't they? So Opportunity knocks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah. There's there's a kind of genealogy, and and it is a cynicism. But I I find myself development-wise, you know, developing new... I I, I like to think that I'm an innovative, I'm doing really exciting stuff, but but sometimes it feels like the only things that commissions actually end up with the commissions or they end up being the returners are the more straight stuff, is the more straight Mm. stuff. And and, and that can be quite disheartening. Taking commissioners is what Channel 4 is supposed to be about. Well, it'd be really exciting Born risky, I believe, they're advertising. <laughs> OK, let's do it. Should we do another one? Yeah. Patrick Holland is uh, the BBC's new head of documentaries. Do you know Patrick? I know Patrick well because he took over from me at TalkBack. I mean, he's a great documentary maker. He was a great documentary maker before he went to TalkBack and he launched you know, a couple of really nice documentary series. I think he's, he's, he's really well placed to be the head of documentaries at the BBC because he's, that's his world. I mean, he's very good at protecting that area. I think he's done a really good job at, at Boundless. Um, I think he's a really solid and, you know, um, and good documentary maker. He gets on well with Charlotte, and I think I'm sure he'll get on really well with Kim. Um, and I think he'll be a good... He's a, he's a straight bat, you know. He's, he's, a, he's a good but the, man. But the thing about that appointment is the BBC makes good documentaries already. It doesn't need to be improved necessarily. It just needs to be... Held. It just needs to be held. That's a different role. Ben Cordell's coming in with a mountain to climb. Uh, this guy's coming in to sort of polish his BAFTAs. You know, they're already there. The good quality's there. The department's there. It's a strong department. So, Great department. You know, he, he, he should be allowed his head. Get on with it, you know? Chris, from what we hear, he's a bit of an unknown quantity, though, to some. People in the indie community do know each other. They don't know often know each other terribly well. So I think there's a little bit of a kind of, there'll be a getting to know you peer, but that's true of whether it's Ben going into Channel 4. It was true Patrick. of Kim Schillinglaw. It was true of Kim Schillinglaw, absolutely. Um, I think that, I do agree that BBC Docs are in a strong place. I'm kind of done with access, to be honest. I'd be interested to know what Patrick's take on, on mm. access docs are. Inside blank, 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 yeah, it, it, enough already. Well, I think Channel 4 are doing the most interesting stuff on access. I think they've done the most, because they've kind of said, access, our approach towards. And I think, I was with a documentaries, brilliant documentaries commissioner yesterday, I have to tell you. Um, I won't say his name, but he'll know who he is, um, who I was blown away by. But actually, because he's because he, they're, they're, what they're doing in access, they're saying, yes, access does matter. You're wrong, access is good. But how are we doing it? What are we giving that's new and fresh to the public? Because if you're just going to go in and do another bloody 
jobs dot in wherever dot 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 retail store. Do you not think that's what the Beeb's been a bit guilty of? Do you not think think the the BBC has been a bit guilty of that? Mm. But and I think it's slightly cynical um, in many ways, and I can understand why. But I think maybe that what I'm trying to say is I think Channel 4's docs are could 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 could, it'd be nice to have some of that injected into what BBC's doing. I mean, that's the thing. He can take a risk now at the BBC because that's the thing. You've got the BBC background, you've got the credibility. Mm. He can now be a little bit more adventurous. Whether or not he will, or whether he'll become a kind of BBC drone, that's the that's his kind of dilemma. Will I go in and become subsumed by the kind of health and safety, you know, closed down, let's, you know, let's worry about everything. And when he really should be going in going, woohoo, you know, that's the, the head of BBC Docs is the, is like the Channel 4 controller's job. It's a it's fabulous job. It's the best job, job in TV. Well, you're you're absolutely right, but because I think what he's got the opportunity to go in and do is to be a bit risky and edgy. Yeah, exactly. Whether he does, we'll have to wait and see. But actually, that is what he could do because he's mm. starting with, as you said, the bedrock of BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And finally, quickly, we're running out of time a little bit, but um, Polly Hill. Has been named as uh, Ben Stevenson's replacement as drama controller. It's one of the biggest jobs in telly, isn't it, Chris? There's a lot of money to spend, yeah. isn't there? If you uh, so, uh, I think Polly had um, an advantage in the sense that she's been working directly with the indie community for some period of time, and at Ben's side, <laughs> and at Ben's side, very closely with Ben, very closely with the indie community. There was certainly a lot of support for her from within the indie community. Um, on all these things, you've got the continuity and a, and a sort of an internal appointment is a double-edged sword, isn't it? So you've got you, you haven't got a necessarily a huge handover period. You haven't got to to um, develop a whole new new load of relationships. Um, but there is a, a danger, a little bit of a danger on these things that um, it's more of the same. That you have the kind of uh, the you know the 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 status quo stays in place and the opportunity like the guys are talking about for a bit of risk taking some shaking things up doesn't always come when there's a, a sort of um, internal appointment but you know we, we we will wait and see yeah and Ben said this week that uh, drama is at a tipping point of the BBC potentially yeah another freeze in the license fee said could uh, could damage the genre oh come on no. <laughs> I mean, drama at the moment are the big boys you can do what hell they like Ben Ben Stevenson's been you know. Throwing, getting his willy out and shaking it in everyone's face for years <laughs> oh, now dear. because he is the most powerful person in TV. And he's walks off to his £2 million a year job in America. Good luck with that, Ben. Um, not jealous at all. Uh, drama, uh, you know, they are they're well really, funded. they are really, really, they've got it all at the moment. They can do, they can do no wrong. Well, it's interesting because I think the drama that, that was that, uh, you know, that, that happened at the BBC when there was a lot of austerity cuts was actually some of the most exciting drama. So even if it did lose money, I think they made them think more inventively about how they might do some some things with the medium. You don't want to lose the real big boys, but you're never going to lose yeah. those because they I think make if so we had some money. drama producers in the room, they might, uh, they might say, no, oh, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, finally, our commission of the fortnight. Uh, after the much-mocked Planet Earth Live, uh, BBC One is planning to do live natural history again, this time with a marine life documentary uh, from Monterey Bay in California. Uh, the three-part natural history unit series uh, will count the likes of Hugh Fernley-Whittingstall uh, among its presenters. This, uh, this yeah. get you going, anyone? I like the idea of it. I like the idea of whale watching and all that because you're sort of more or less guaranteed to do it and you probably put GPS on them these days so you're guaranteed to get them within the timing of the of the filming. But Hugh Fernand Whittingstall, I'm not interested in him to, telling me about wildlife. I mean, is he what going to do? Kill the whale and cook it while I'm sitting there? It's like, no, no, no thanks. That seems like one sort of commissioner's brainstorm too far to me. You know, the setting good, let's not stick cookery uh, experts into a wildlife show. It won't be Richard Hammond in a dark tent in Africa, will it? Will it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, if I, it is, it, I'm it, pitching, it won't be. I'm pitching that tomorrow. <laughs> I think the slightly worrying 
the live aspect, if I'm really honest with you, because I think natural history, which is so brilliantly produced, and, and you know, look at what Alistair's just done. I mean, Alistair, I think, has enjoyed greatly working with Netflix on that project because it's given him a scope to be as creative mm-hmm. and brilliant as he can be. Um, I, I slightly, I'm just personally, I love natural history programming, and I think, you know, interesting commission. I, I agree with Stephen. I think Hugh... Is, is is yeah? I mean, they're very excited about having him at the BBC, and I, and I think let's. It's it's quite a jump though. We all know that channel jump from one I'd channel to the other. Him on Graham, top gear, you know? Graham, who's pretty much a, in my eyes a TV god, took how many years to settle in? Graham Norton at the BBC. I mean, that was a, a good few series before it really felt like he'd got it and he was he was proper BBC. But he wasn't talent. doing natural history. Shows, he wasn't doing know? natural history. He'd come from a bigger place to start off with, and it took him a long time. And I think with you know, I I slightly intrigued by their choice. Um, and I'll see how it does. I mean, he doesn't feel for me like a natural match for that area. And live worries me. And he's also, doing, he I is think, doing another series of BBC One. I know as well. he is. He's doing, he's doing uh, a big thing. Uh, Waste. Food waste, yes, food waste, waste. Yeah. which you know, which is much more his bag. And, yeah. But, but I, in a way, I just thought maybe take it a bit slower. Let him do that series. Mm. Let's see how the Monterey Bay. I mean, it's a great place to play. I mean, what a beautiful place to be if they actually get anything on camera. Just Isn't quickly, it? Chris, final mm. thought. I just don't get the obsession with live. To be honest, mm. I just don't know why it would. I mean, what when I watch it, perhaps I will watch it and I will think to myself. How is this benefited from being live? And it, maybe there will be some things that I realise at the time that I can't think of now. But sat here right now, I kind of shrug my shoulders a little bit. It, it, this entertains the commissioners. It excites the commissioners it brings more than a it does. But actually, the worst mistake I ever made in my life was doing things like Tomorrow's World Live when I was at the BBC because this desire to do live. And, I, when I, the, and I've really become... I mean, I love live TV. I was trained in live TV. That's where I, where I grew up. So I have a real passion for it. But I can tell you, you are absolutely spot on. What's happening? What's going to happen today that will happen on no other day that we could not have filmed and recorded? Because actually the best thing to do is to always make a taped, you know, an edited version of something. Well, almost. Per- per- Including this podcast, probably, Jake. <laughs> Perversely, the, the Netflix, um, Alistair's Netflix project, stands potentially to be so brilliant because they've given him so much money that he can film for such a long, so many years and years and, and years and years and edit it down. And it strikes me that that seems very sensible, that if you film for years and years and years and years, occasionally you capture some magic. Nicely wrapped up, Chris. Thank a you little, very much. little nod <laughs> to something we talked about earlier. Those are your headlines for this episode. And my thanks to Camilla, Stephen and Chris. Uh, Time now for some previews. Still with me are Camilla, Stephen and Chris. First up this week is Dave's new police sitcom, Undercover. As the title suggests, the six-part series is a high-stakes comedy about an undercover police officer who finds himself out of his depth when he sleuths his way into an Armenian crime family. Undercover is co-written by Anton Deck's full-time writer Andy Milligan and is produced by Baby Cow Productions and Bonafide Films. Here's a moment from the first episode. Uh, Fearing his identity has been rumbled, undercover cop Chris is forced into the back of a car by an Armenian gang. Pig is a dirty animal. Sorry, what was that? You'll have to speak up a bit, I'm afraid. I said the pig is a dirty animal. uh, you still have to speak up a bit, I'm afraid. I said the pig is a dirty animal. Sorry, what? <laughs> we'll take off the hood. Let's lose the hood. The hood's not yep. working. Turn it off. Right up. Do you know the time when a pig squeals the most, Chris? Uh, is it uh, during menstruation, prior to rainfall? Um, it's when you cut his dirty, lying throat. There is a pig in this family, Chris. A dirty. Filthy pig. Oh, Jesus. There's no Jesus for piggies, Chris. <laughs> what do we make of this, Stephen? 
I quite liked it. It looked very impressive. It looked quite sort of rich in detail, um, possibly a bit too much detail to take in initially. Um, it felt very dramatic. felt it had a lot of drama and story in it. And, of course, the big problem with comedies is you've got to give it time to bed in. But certainly I'm going to watch it again. Uh, very good actors, you know, and it did, it did seem, you know, crammed full of sort of detail. It didn't look cheap. You know, it looked like a proper proper t uh, terrestrial comedy um i'm not so sure I, I, about the, the the lead actor i was put off by because he's the guy on the bt broadband ad <laughs> and that's all i kept thinking because he plays a loser on that and it was like that sort of threw me a little bit i mean but sarah alexander example i like seeing her again it's quite uh, dense i would say in terms of a lot of characters a lot of foreign names you can't quite follow the plot initially you know, they're kind of they're deliberately confusing because obviously you're, we're following this guy being thrown into a kind of an undercover situation. But no, I thought it looked good. Bit of bit of wrong man's about this, I thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Stephen says it's you know dense. There's a lot of gags in it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, they they yeah. keep coming. It's got it is it, it's, it's quite a silly comedy. There's mm. a hit, you know, there's a hint of um, touch of cloth or sort of naked gun about it with some sort of silliness. Mm. What's really interesting actually is this is playing on Dave which has a lot of BBC repeats, high-quality stuff. And UK TV kind of knows if they're going to do original commissions, they've got to put some money into mm. it. Because if they try and do it on a cutback, um, what might be a more traditional multi-channel budget, it's just going to look naff. Mm. And it certainly doesn't No, it looks look, fantastic. Look I thought it was a bit inconsistent and a bit up and down, but mm. I'll be going back for the second episode. Mm. I thought it was amazingly brave. I thought it was a clever subject area to go into. I thought I thought that a lot of the gags were, were a little bit obvious and, and very much... But you know what? What you said, Stephen's right. It's one of those shows you know that could really grow, it could find its audience. I thought, I thought it was really brave commission, beautifully made actually, mm. and really good acting. I thought it was great. Yeah, well, Dave's had a seventy percent budget increase, hasn't it? So that's where the, that's, that's where that's the money's where going the on screen. UK TV, uh, money is going. Yeah, absolutely. I thought there were a few things that I was. Um, there was a bit. There were a few gags in there about racism, and yet yeah, quite a lot of it seemed to be about stereotyping Armenians, which I felt a bit. Maybe I was maybe being horribly PC, but I was slightly. Is that your Armenian dad that made you feel? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I've got maybe I've got a Greek uncle like the copper in the yes. uh, the show. He's called Chris as well, so you never <laughs> yeah. you never know. Bound to then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, undercover debuts on Dave next month. Um, our final stop this episode is with BBC One, which is preparing to launch its adaptation of Susanna Clarke's blockbuster novel Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell. Uh, deemed too tough to adapt for the big screen Cuba Pictures was given the best part of two years to reimagine the story of two magicians in 19th century England for television the six part series stars Bertie Cavell uh, as Jonathan Strange and Eddie Marsden as Mr Norrell uh, in this clip a society of magicians meets a visitor who is asking uncomfortable questions but I have recently begun to wonder why the great feats of magic that I read about remain in the pages of my books and are not seen on the street or on the battlefield. I have begun to wonder why modern magicians are unable to work the magic that they write about. In short, gentlemen, I wish to know, why is magic no longer done in England? <laughs> it is a wrong question, Mr. Segundus. Magicians study magic. We do not perform it. No. You don't expect an astronomer to create stars <laughs> or a botanist to invent new flowers. No, 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 it is a child's question, I appreciate, but, uh, but no... Classical magic, sir, is not a thing for the gentlemen of this society. Nor any gentleman. 
Chris, you're midway through the book at the moment. I am midway through the book and I'm trying to read uh, more quickly so that I can get to the end before uh, <laughs> the show catches up with me. Um, I think this is going to be a hit for the BBC. Sunday nights, all things kind of supernatural are quite trendy at the moment. And um, this is kind of a really nice um, uh, marriage of a kind of like an Austin novel, a kind, you know, a comic, a comic period piece with lots of um, moments of um, sort of pomposity and, and, and where you sort of laughing slightly at the characters. And then there's a bit of drama thrown in, which comes in towards the end of the first episode when the magic sort of takes over and it becomes, um, the, you know, the supernatural elements come through. I think that that combination of those two things is going to work really well. Stephen, did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, I, I read the book a few years ago. I've read it a couple of times and, uh, and her follow up. I was waiting to see how they would do it. That sort of unfilmable aspect of the book is really interesting because the book is filled with annotations and footnotes and a very, very strong authorial voice. That was missing in this. They had a bit of voiceover at the beginning, but but then it started to play out as a kind of period drama. I thought it looked amazing. I thought the acting was superb. And, you know, you can see the money in every sort of second of the shot. But whether or not people who aren't necessarily interested in the supernatural will fall for it, because it is, it, Chris is right, it is like a sort of a, a, a gothic horror written by Jane Austen without necessarily so much humour. But it's, you know, whether or not the, the, the marriage is going to come across on TV, because it is a sort of comedy of manners uh, halfway through. And at the same time, it's sort of, you know, a treatise on philosophical things from the 18th century. I mean, it's all, it's, the book is really rich and, and, and uh, layered. And the, the, so far, I haven't seen that on the thing. But it is, it's probably unfilmable if it was done like the book. Camilla, you came to this with fresh eyes, didn't you? I did. I hadn't read the book. And actually... You know, it's really interesting hearing what you've both got to say about it. I mean, I watched it cold as a view. I, I do like the supernaturally stuff and I would go to it. It's difficult for me because I actually have a real problem with kind of costume drama, period drama pieces. So I sort of came to it feeling already a little hackles up. I've got a thing about things being too clean and, and looking like, you know, just like it's distant and it's sort of rarefied and special. And, and, and obviously I'd read about where the adaptation, where it had come from and read press around it and understood why this piece had been made. And a very brave commission in some ways, because actually what we're used to seeing is period dramas which either represent a moment in history which was been dramatised as to having had happened, or based on really famous books that have become part of the culture that we sort of felt feel that we've, we're, we're akin to a Dickens or something. Mm-hmm. And suddenly seeing something that hasn't had either and then is, is telling a sort of false history mm. is, is complicated watch in some ways. I, I suppose what I found, it's funny you mentioned the narration, I found that very off-putting and very annoying for mm. me initially. And and, and when, it went, when it went, I preferred it. Mm. It took me some time to get into. I'm not the world's most patient viewer. I felt a bit guilty about my, my response to it. So I watched it with my partner again, who we watched the first qu- like quarter hour this morning, again, having watched it already. And I said, well, what do you think? And, and he talked to me about it, and actually I changed my mind. I think it's, it's got real growing potential, and I think once if you can get the audience in, because not everyone will have read the book. Mm. Um, I mean, we like to talk about huge book sales, but that huge book sales compared to huge tele, yeah. tele, tele viewers is, is nothing. Mm. So I worry that more people will come to it like me and might be slightly confused about what they're, what they're being offered as a proposition. It was finely made and mm. very well acted. Um, and, and, and I hope you're right that it is a hit, because it is actually quite a brave commission for something that on face value looks like a period drama when you really interrogate it it's done I mean, something quite interesting there's a hell of a lot of story within this and 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 as each episode goes on it should hook the viewer i mean this isn't poldark this isn't just you know romping about with your shirt off and constantly riding up and down you that love same poldark. cliff i love poldark but uh, I, I got bored with it after a while yeah because it was nothing happened you know are the pilchards in i mean there's more to there's more to this than a tin of pilchards 
Um, there, you know, this is this has got real dramatic quality. You know, and 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 I mean, you don't know what happens next, but I do because I read the book. <laughs> Where it's going to go? Yeah, but is, that's not is, good enough for a viewer. No, no, but, most but what I mean is for, for the viewers the as they get hooked. And you know, the problem with a lot yeah, of these period dramas though, is, these days. No, but what a lot the problem with a lot of these period dramas is nothing happens. And you know, I was a mm. huge fan of Cranford, for example. You know the you know the, the the local shop opened. That was basically it for two yeah. series. I could have still watched. The Archers it. has run for how many years? <laughs> so this has got a lot of drama, a lot of dramatic potential, and and if they can hook us in and keep us in, you know the um, the mysterious visitor to Mr. Norrell's um, uh, summoning is a is a, you know incredible character. Yeah, that, I mean and, that's and Mark where, Warren in this. You know where that where he goes and where that story goes is is phenomenal. So. It could, you know, it could become a huge thing. This it could become if it gets a, them in, though. It, I well, loved it. I loved. I loved it. I came to it fresh, like you did, Camilla, and I, I'm hooked. I will mm. definitely watch the rest of the series. Um, although I feel slightly guilty about not having read the book, though. You have to kind of put the book to. Yeah, it's to, like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Side, the yeah. books are two different things, mm. and the, the Game of Thrones on TV is better than the books, and the books are better than the TV because they're richer. So you can actually do, you can do both. You can, you know, it, you, what you levels. want is the sumptuousness as a viewer. You want that story to hook into you. You want to sit there and switch off and think, fuck me, I'm living in the world of 18th century Britain or early 19th century Britain. To be well, they've got some great VFX coming up, haven't they? We've, we've, done, we've done a piece of sort of behind the scenes and some of the magic that comes in the later later episodes, I think is going to look fantastic. And I think, you know, if you the, the, the Cranford comparison, mm. uh, I think that will, you know, that will give the, the energy and the wow for but, but a it. slow start, Chris. A slow start, I think that's probably fair enough. Mm. I think I quite in, like that though. Sometimes it's got a quite, a, drama, it's quite a lot fast. of things to bring in. Do you know fast. what I mean? It's, it's a lot of concepts to figure out. Well, what, the, what they're trying to set up at the beginning is because it's it's what's interesting about this idea is it's both a recognisable real world. The, the the comedy of manners, mm. the the the, 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 the dil- dilettante gentlemen mm. who haven't really got a job mm. but have got lots of money, and the you know the 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 world that we're used to of balls and parties and that kind of thing, um, and then at the same time there's this kind of alternative history that magic's been around in England mm. and it's kind of gone away, and that's actually quite a jarring uh, thing for a viewer, and I think that's possibly what 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 sort of Camilla was going up against. I guess the, the the challenge will be whether they can get people over that that yes, hurt, that hurdle. Right. Do you believe in the Raven King? <laughs> At his return. Well, we yeah, maybe. Have See, to tune in I'm a I, think he's the, yeah. I think he's the new I'm head of entertainment in Channel 4, isn't he? That's next week. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell launches on the 17th of May at 9pm on BBC One. That's your lot for this instalment of Talking TV. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Thanks also to my guests, Camilla Lewis, Stephen Lee Wright and Chris Curtis. I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 